Let's pray once again. Father, your word is so precious. We want to hear your voice. Speak to us this morning. Make today no exception where you speak into us, into our lives, and you revive us. Lord, challenge our hearts. Give us the vision of the work that you've laid before us. Bless us, we ask in your son's name. Father, we ask that you will stir within us a zeal for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that you will help us to go forth and carry out your word as you have laid on us, Father. Lord, we ask that you'll do that for every gospel-proclaiming, Jesus-centered church in our area. Father, I pray that from today, from the pulpits of godly men, that your word will be heard and will resonate in hearts, Father, and your people will be strengthened to service. Father, unite us in the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. May nothing else even attempt to bring us to you. May all the false gospels be laid aside. May the false truths be rejected. And may we see the truth of your holy word, Father God. Lord, we ask that as all around the world, our brothers and sisters hear the word today, that your people will be strengthened. Father, we pray for Pastor Kogo, a Covenant Baptist Church in Nakuru, Kenya. As he comes forth, may you help him to preach your word rightly, the whole counsel of God being heard and adored and worshipped. May the gospel of Jesus go forth. Father, we pray for the North American Mission Board as they seek to plant more churches all across North America and Mexico and Canada and here in the States, Father. We pray that you'll raise up more men who are willing to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ and to go even to areas where we think are reached, but yet the gospel will be heard actually for the first time and that you'll convert sinners into saints and that churches will be planted and built up and your glory will go forth. Father, we pray for the Hakka of China over 33 million people who are trapped in the false religion of Islam. Father, may they come to the saving knowledge of your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, may you send forth missionaries, maybe from this fellowship, Father, to seek the lost all around the world. To the ends of the earth, your glory may be known through the preaching of your gospel. Lord, help us, we ask, in your Son's most precious name. Amen. A couple of years ago, a well-known pastor preached a sermon about building a wall. He referenced this book, the book of Nehemiah, and he used it for political gain to advance a position about building the southern wall on the U.S.-Mexico border. You can look it up. You can Google it. It's, it's there to read. At one point during his sermon, he said, God is not against building walls. He even compared our president to Nehemiah. And he used Scripture to justify what he thought we should do on our country's border. This 
could not be further from the purpose of God's holy word. Regardless of where you are on the political spectrum, the Bible is not about American politics. It is not even about America. Many countries have come and gone since the Bible was written. We don't know how long America is going to last. What we do know is what God says. He says the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the Word of God will stand forever. This Bible, the truth of God's Word, will still be around. The truth of it will last forever whether there is an America or not. What's in the Bible is for us today, but it is not about us. There are a lot of issues out there today that we face. In the last couple of years, we we have the refugee crisis. We do have the, the wall on the southern border. We have the widening schism and the contempt between the political parties. But here's the reality of all of that. None of these issues, none of these issues in America are mentioned in the Bible. The purpose of the Bible is not to supply us with ammo for our politics. It informs how Christians, how we as believers, as followers of Christ, how we should approach politics. But really, the Bible tells us that there's a bigger issue than any political statement. Across the board, regardless of party, Every person needs to be reconciled to our Creator through the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Preaching a sermon on a wall and relating it to the wall on our southern border, it actually belittles Scripture. And it distracts from the message we are to share from the Scriptures. I say this as we look at chapter 3 here in Nehemiah where the wall around Jerusalem is rebuilt. A whole chapter dedicated to describing the construction. So why then is the wall mentioned? Why is it important? How can it relate to us today? To answer this, we have to see how the book of Nehemiah fits into the Bible. Nehemiah is just one of the 66 books in the Bible. There were over 40 different men who wrote the Bible in three languages, in Hebrew and Aramaic and and Greek. So we need to take the time to understand then the days in which they wrote, the historical and cultural context. We have to understand the way in which they wrote. The literary genre of the books in the Bible are important. If it's a letter, we interpret it one way. If it's poetry or wisdom, we interpret it another way. And like the book of Nehemiah, a historical book, we look at history and how it fits within history. But we don't just look at the books by themselves. We should never take a verse or a passage in isolation 
a come up with a slogan or a political stand. We should never look at the Bible like that. We need to look at the passage within the immediate context and then how it fits within the book. And then we look at the book and see how it fits within the rest of the Bible. Because the Bible was written by 40 men who God wrote, who God chose to write His words. 40 different men writing 66 books, but yet one God with one purpose. It's one book with one story, and that story is about God. And that's how we are to approach chapter 3 in the book of Nehemiah. It's all about the rebuilding of the walls within Jerusalem, but it's within the overarching story of God creating the world and saving a people through His Son so that they will worship Him and they will enjoy Him forever. Now, in Nehemiah's day, we're still in the Old Testament before the promised Messiah comes. They needed walls around the city of Jerusalem. It was a time in redemptive history when God's people had to be restored as one nation. And all that made them Jewish, the people, their culture, their worship, their laws, it all had to be brought back and kept safe so the Messiah could be born within these people. A wall was needed to secure that and set the stage for the Messiah. As believers who are God's people today, our security, our culture as followers of Jesus Christ, our identity, our security is in the Messiah who has come. Our identity is not found in just one culture. All over the world, we can be found in our likeness to the Messiah, to the Christ. Our unity to Him, our our love and our hope in Him. We also need to be restored. We need brought back and kept safe. But a physical wall is not how God does it today. And I'm not talking politics here. I'm talking about God keeping His people eternally secure. It happens by His grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That grace crosses geographical boundaries. It crosses national borders. And this wall in chapter 3 then tells us it's so much more than a barrier around a city. It shows us that what God promises to set out to do, He does in fact do it. And as He does it, He does it where He is the one who gets the glory. He is the one who deserves all the praise. When it looked like everything between God and Israel has come to an end, Israel's sin has brought judgment and they've been scattered, God stays true to His Word. The wall shows us that God is a God who keeps His covenant promises. 
Our faithful God restores and renews His people so He can keep His promise of the Messiah coming through His covenant people Israel and then establish a new covenant. A new covenant people. The church. I've entitled the sermon, The Promise-Keeping God. And through chapter 3, I want to show you that what God does in this chapter, He promises to do for the church today. How God directs people and He brings them together and He unifies them toward one goal. Because God is faithful to His covenant here in chapter 3, God shows us what the church can be. The church can be a unified force that follows God and does great things for God. His people accomplishing this great task that's set out for them. And God intends to keep His covenant and to work through His people today. Now at first glance... This chapter can seem like an awfully boring chapter. It's one of those long lists of names in Scripture. There are names that are hard to pronounce and they're the son of someone we've, we've never heard of. And they build certain sections of the wall or the gates in the city. And there's nothing that seems spiritual or important really. But this is in the Bible and it fits within God's story for a reason. If you take the time and you count all the names that Scott read for us, you'll see there are over 40 different groups listed in the chapter. And they are people from all walks of life. There are men and women mentioned There are priests and the people working together. People from all the different professions and the trades. There are goldsmiths. There are perfumers. There are merchants. There are nobles and officials and common people. Rulers over the different districts of the city. People coming from inside the city. People coming from the surrounding villages and areas of Judah. And in verses 2 and verse 5 and verse 27, the leaders aren't even mentioned. It's just the people. This is basically people from every part of the city joining in the great work of God. This is a unified force that is set out for one purpose, to build the wall. Nehemiah has told them that this task is from God. That the hand of God is upon him for good. And the people believe that God is doing something good here. And they're all joining in. Section by section, the, the wall is built. Some are fixing the walls. Others are repairing the gates and putting them in. The priests are helping and they're consecrating the work. But everyone has joined in in this work. For these Old Testament believers, Jerusalem had to be repaired and protected so that God could be worshipped and in the temple without enemies threatening them in that worship. 
They were willing to come from other towns and other parts of Judah because God's temple was in Jerusalem. The Holy of Holies was there where God dwells. And that made Jerusalem important enough whether they lived there or not. It was worth the sacrifice of everything else that they could be doing in order to help rebuild the walls so that God could be worshipped. The priest did not do it alone. Nehemiah could not do this alone. He's not even mentioned in the chapter. It took all the people doing the work. The task of God requires the people of God. It was the same then, and it remains the same today. God's work is not for the select few, but it's for all of the people. In so many churches, this has gotten messed up. In so many churches, we've gotten off track. You look in and there's one person or there's one group who's doing it all, but it can't be that way. It won't last that way. Pastors are given so that all the people of God in the church can do the good works of ministry. You and I together are to build the ministry of this church. We are the workers that God has brought together to accomplish the task of advancing His kingdom here in King George County. We invite people to know this promise-keeping God through Jesus Christ. This is our work that God has given us. With our words and our deeds, we point others to Jesus Christ. This is our work. Now there were some, though, that didn't do the work. In verse 5, the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles would not stoop to serve the Lord. There are some who will not do the Lord's work. They do not understand the mercy and the goodness of God and what He has for us as His people. Their idea of God is not in line with the purpose of God who does things for His people so that they will then serve Him in the task that He has given. Don't be one of those people. Don't be the Tekoite nobles. Because the Tekoite nobles... They cannot say they joined in the completed work of God. Their legacy is being called out as being absent in that work. Instead, be one of the people who can say they were part of serving God and doing His great work. Notice, there's also unity of the people. Verse after verse, it was read next to Him and next to Him, and next to Him, or after them, after Him. Everyone is joining together in this work. Everyone doing their job. They're not working against each other. They're not working independent of each other. Everyone is side by side working on the mission. Unity and harmony are vital among God's people. We have to work in unison. We, it is impossible. It is impossible to do the work of God if there's not harmony, there's not unity among God's people. 
and this unity, we can't just stir it up among us. This is only possible with God. Everyone has to buy in. Everyone has to accept that God's good is what's being worked out here. There has to be unity that's grounded in the goodness of God. Nothing else will unite God's people. Only the goodness of God can bring us together and keep us joined in purpose and in service. Now this unity in this church, this unity, this goodness of God can only come one way, and that's through faith in Jesus Christ. It won't happen any other way. It says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. That's what the psalmist tells us. Paul says in Romans, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's in Romans 15. We have to be in accord with Jesus Christ. We have to take refuge in Jesus Christ. You and I have to be in agreement with the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We have to seek to exalt Him above everything else in our lives. He has to come first. He must be who we're striving for. Now, if we're pursuing different goals, if we're seeking joy in other things, if our minds are wondering about temporary matters, then it won't happen. There needs to be unity that comes in wanting nothing else like you want Jesus. Where we will be in one voice glorifying God. Now another thing we see in this work is that it's being done in light of opposition. So we see that Everyone has joined in this work together. We see that it's done in unity and and purpose. And we see that it's being done in light of opposition. Remember, this work is being accomplished from what we learned from in chapter 2 and what's coming in chapter 4. And we have chapter 3 right in the middle of this, right in the middle of this opposition. Even though opposition has risen, the people of God still going about, they still go about doing the work of God. The opposition does not stop them from jumping in and serving We need to be that kind of people. We need to be the kind of people that even if opposition arises in the midst of it all, we stay united and we're all together doing the work of God regardless of what's being faced. That means God's goodness means more than anything we could face. That's what the Jews were looking at. This goodness of God that they were told about, they, 
still kept doing the work. There was opposition that came up. They still did the work. They joined together side by side, regardless of what they were facing. God was keeping His promise, and so they went about doing His work. Now we know that God is a God who never changes. He did keep His promise, and He will keep His promise. He promises to give His goodness to His people today. God promises His grace and mercy to the church. God has kept His covenant goodness through His Son Jesus. And all of God's yeses are told that it's found in Jesus Christ. He promises through faith in Christ that His church will be built and endure and will become more and more like His Son. That's God's promise to us. That's His goodness that He has in store for us. And so we can join hand in hand doing the work of the ministry. We're told in 2 Peter 1, 3 and 4, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who's called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. God promises to give His people continued grace and peace as we do the work of the ministry, as we lock arm in arm together in unity doing His work. Just just before those verses I just read, Peter writes this, May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Christ Jesus our Lord. This kindness that God promises, this grace and this peace that He promises to give the church as we go out and about doing the works of ministry. It's given to us through growing in knowledge of Christ. He gives us more and more wisdom and knowledge to who He is and what He's like. And through this knowledge, we come to know who He really is. We grow in understanding of His glory and His goodness and our lives are filled with the reality of who He really is. And His grace and His peace that He continues to give. It sustains us. It keeps us working in harmony together because we're all striving after the same thing. God promises that His church will be built. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Nothing, not even the pits of hell, can stop God from building His church. All the people, all the Jews, they were lined up and they were working and building on these different sections of the walls and the different gates that surrounded the city in the the midst of this opposition. And God says, the walls are going to be built. I have my goodness in mind. And He tells us 
the same thing. I have my goodness in mind. My church is going to be built. Whomever God chooses to save, they are saved and they remain so. No opposition can prevent that. God is in a building project today. He is in a building project today, just like in Nehemiah chapter 3. But it's not about the physical wall surrounding Jerusalem. All of that was pointing to the coming of the Messiah. And when He comes and He puts this new covenant and He promises that we are in that covenant and we are His people and in that covenant, He's building up this church, this body for Himself. And you and I who are followers of Jesus Christ, we are promised that we are kept in that promise. Scott read for us that psalm earlier. It's a beautiful psalm. It's it's a promise of the covenant that is yours and mine. God is building us up in His goodness. God is in a building project, but it's not one made with brick and stone. He's building His church. By His grace, He uses servants who are working together in unison to bring the rest of His people into His kingdom. Now at times it may look bleak, but God promises to do this. And we need to remember this promise that God never fails to fulfill what He says. God does not speak any untruths. The psalm earlier, it said, God will not lie. He never speaks an untruth. He tells us that He came to bring salvation to His people, to restore them and to secure their worship. And we see that happening in chapter 3. God is doing just that. The third wave of, of the exiles have returned. The wall is now built and the, the temple that's already been built, can now the people can now come and worship God in security and peace. God promised that. And He made it happen. God has made an eternal covenant that through Jesus Christ, He will give faith to His people and that they will join in the work of redemption and peace. The battle for men's souls has already been declared won. Simply because God has said He's going to do it. All we have to do is share the message of it. The Gospel message is what God has given you and I, the people of God, in this new covenant through Christ. This is the work that He has given us. And we lock arm in arm through that. Through our evangelism, God brings people to salvation and He adds to the church. This promise of salvation means you and I don't need to fret when we share the good news. God will save whom He saves. Our work is sharing the Gospel message. We need to join together in that work and after Him and after her and after them and after them. We're all locked arm in arm in this great work of God today. God will bring people into His kingdom. 
And God has you here for that very work. You have been saved and He has not returned yet because there is still work to do that we have. You've been brought here so you can join in the great work of salvation. Your part is needed. You have gifts that this church needs. You're able to reach people here and share with them. You can encourage and point someone in the direction of Jesus. You can speak of the truth of your faith. You can help lift up the eyes to see the love and the mercy of God. You can serve in areas that are needed so that the work can be completed. And unless the whole church does this, the church cannot fulfill its mission. All the people joined in. All the different groups, all the leaders and the peoples and the nobles, everyone who was part of it joined in and the work was completed. Unless the whole church does it, our mission cannot be fulfilled. That is how God has designed it. There will be gaps in our work. We have to be together and we have to be committed to this work. Every person is necessary to do the work of the church. God also promises, this is another future promise that continues now and into the future, God promises He will sanctify His people by the means of His grace. No one is perfect, but God is not talking about making us perfect in this life where we don't make mistakes. That's not what He's talking about. He promises to make us holy by His grace. The people of God who were doing the work in Nehemiah's day with the walls, they were building that so people could come into the temple and worship God. They were being cleansed and they were being brought up as a people and strengthened as a holy people of God. And that's what God promises to do for us. No one is perfect. But God's not talking about making our life perfect in this life. He's talking about holiness. This is more than just doing right things or doing them rightly. This is about being godly as we do them. It's the getting rid of sin in our lives and the ungodliness that festers inside. God is faithful and He will cleanse us. He's promised to cleanse us of all sin. He's already declared us free from the guilt. He's right now freeing us from its power. That means that believers right now are increasing in His love and it's abounding in us. The desire for sin is being replaced with God's love for God and for others. He's making us holy right now. And He will one day free us from the presence of sin completely, making us purely holy in His sight. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you know that God keeps His promises. That's what chapter 3 is all about. That's why we have it in the Bible, is to show us that God is a promise-keeping God. And your faith is proof of that today. He is securing His church and keeping His people safe 
so that we can do the work of ministry. God does keep His promises. And because of Jesus, the promise to save is eternal. The promise to to purify us is forever. The promise to include us in His work is being fulfilled. And in light of all these promises that are all given through Christ, we then, let's join together in the work that God has for us today. Let's work together in unity to build His church and to share the Gospel message with our neighbors and with others in the community. Let's be a church who's committed to seeing the work completed so that God is worshipped and His goodness and His grace are enjoyed by all the people. That is what God has for you and I today. Let's pray.